Hi, I'm Nainika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. This is our last episode of the year, and we want to thank you for listening through months of difficult news in really uncertain times. We launched The Decibel back in May and are so grateful to everyone who's listened to the show, followed the feed, and shared an episode with friends. To end on a bit of a high note, we wanted to focus on the ways people have taken care of each other during these really difficult times. So with the help of some of our colleagues in the newsroom, today we bring you three stories of kindness from out in the world. And I'm going to hand it off to our producer, Madeline White. Thanks, Manika. You're listening to The Decibel. A lot of people will tell you that the first Christmas after the fire was the hardest time because that's when you really start realizing that you've lost all those sentimental items. That's Therese Greenwood. On May 1st, 2016, she was in her home in Fort McMurray, Alberta, where she lived with her husband, when, like so many other people in recent years, her life was upended by a wildfire. It started out as just a very ordinary day. It was just a beautiful day and people were going about their business, grocery shopping and and doing laundry and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, almost exactly at 12 noon, we got a notice that a wildfire was approaching and to evacuate. So everyone was, when we had 15 minutes uh, to get out, uh, everyone was scrambling. I didn't know it at the time, but the other end of our subdivision was already on fire. And so all the fire and police were down at that end, actually helping people get out of houses that were actually catching on fire. We were at the other end uh, trying to evacuate out. It was surreal. It was incredibly intense. One moment the sun was shining and it was a beautiful warm day. And then the clouds of smoke immediately rolled in. You were suddenly choking on the smoke and there was ash floating down on your car, just like snowflakes coming out of the sky. I grabbed some sleigh bells that my grandfather gave me, and I grabbed my father-in-law's favorite rolling pin, and I grabbed a needlepoint embroidery that my grandmother had made, and uh, and I'm very glad that I did grab them all because as it happened, my, my house did burn down in the fire. So uh, insurance can replace your stereo and your coffee maker, but you just can't replace those kinds of memories. Therese and her husband made their way back to Fort McMurray in October of that year when they moved into an apartment while their home was being rebuilt. A few months later, the holidays rolled around. And so you've lost Christmas decorations that might have been handed down in the family for years. And there were so many houses burned down that there were so many people out looking for Christmas trees, uh, Christmas decorations, um, Christmas lights, all that sort of thing. So the, the shelves were very bare the, <laughs> the two weeks before Christmas in Fort McMurray. In sort of the very last store that we were in on Christmas Eve, we found one little Christmas cactus left on a shelf and it was a pretty sad looking little Charlie Brown tree kind of Christmas cactus. It's kind of a green, almost uh, ferny plant with uh, shiny green leaves. And uh, it only blooms at Christmas time. It blooms when the days grow darker. We nursed it along and uh, we decided to name it Jake after uh, Jake Blues in the Blues Brothers movie. 
it kind of became our Christmas tradition after the fire. So every year we went out and and we would get another Christmas cactus to sort of mark really how far along we were coming. Last year in 2020, Fort McMurray had a gigantic flood in the downtown. So the whole downtown was flooded out and evacuated. And again, you know, hundreds and thousands of people were displaced. And again, a lot of people lost their Christmas decorations because they had them stored in the basement. And so in December of 2020, we saw the same thing again. People were crowding, you know, the stores, which were also flooded out and lost a lot of their inventory. Uh, trying to replace their Christmas decorations. And so I was out trying to find myself a Christmas cactus, not surprisingly, and they were sold out all over town. I, I couldn't find one. And so I, I the last place I went into, uh, the clerk said to me, oh, I'm, we've been sold out for days. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. And I said, oh, I, I'm sorry, because we've been buying one every year since the fire. It's become our post-fire tradition. And she said to me, where were you in the fire? And of course, if you were in Fort McMurray for the fire, you now speak about it in a shorthand. So by saying what neighborhood you're in, I'm saying half of my neighborhood burned down. She's saying 75% of my neighborhood burned down. You're, you're sharing all this back information. So we just said those, you know, two sentences to each other. And then she said to me, I am going to get you a Christmas cactus. So she took my name, she took my phone number, and two days later she called me and I went in and she had found the most beautiful Christmas cactus. It was five times the size of the poor little one we bought the first year after the fire. We named it Aretha because it was so beautiful. And so there we were again after our second natural disaster, wondering how we were, you know, going to start over again. And then these, you, this total stranger just did this wonderful act of generosity just to make sure that we would have a, a lovely time at Christmas. So it was, it was very special. It's a pretty simple story, really, but it's just about, you know, the generosity of spirit of the community of Fort McMurray, but also of just people in general. This is the season of giving, and a popular time of the year to be giving to your local food bank. One in eight Canadian households are food insecure. The number of people using food banks in Canada was rising before the pandemic, and some have seen record numbers in the last two years. To meet the need, community fridges have been popping up across the country in places like Regina, Vancouver, Calgary, and Toronto. Basically, just picture a fridge on the sidewalk. It's plugged into a nearby business, and it's cleaned and stocked by volunteers. Globe reporter Molly Hayes recently went to check out a community fridge in downtown Hamilton, Ontario. I think there's also Saturday afternoons, there's pickup from some of the vendors at the farmer's market. Okay, yeah. They have extra stuff, though. There's always a pickup. Um, and then other than that, it's kind of just random when people Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of volunteers do put food in. And what do you, what are you bringing now? Um, We've been I sort of like monitoring the inventory. So we had, there's the request uh, one in there. And so that had tea, hot chocolate and coffee on it the other week. So do you volunteer as well with the cleaning? Yeah, oh, nice. Um, not, like, 
it's kind of it's a it's a couple of things. There's some folks that are a lot more involved, which is lovely. That are like running the schedule, running the social media. Um, how did you were you part of the initial group that sort of got it off the ground or did you I come really across just it heard later about it and uh and was like oh well that's a sensible choice so i kind of started just dropping off food and then eventually i don't quite know how i think someone i follow on instagram posted that like they're looking for people to help out with cleaning whenever they can Nice. I feel like that's sort of like the whole spirit of, of the whole thing. It's yeah. just helping out where people can. Yeah, and so kind of tend to. Well, there are times when this thing is completely void of anything mm. or stuff you don't really care too much for, but there are times when it's got some nice stuff in it. Things like this are usually supposed to be broken up into separate pieces. Yeah. The idea is keep what you need, but leave something for something else, you know? Yeah. But some people, you know, they want to try to get as close to $100 worth of groceries out of those things they can in one go. If you, uh, let's say it's at the end of the month and you've gotten your money and, you know, you've paid your rent and you've got money for groceries, and if you have something left over, or if you go to a food bank and they have something that you're not fond of, yep. you can bring it here. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, if it's like uh, those puddings, you know, they prefer that they're broken up in individual pieces. Right. And uh, granola bars. Yep. Take them out of the box, empty them out of the box, kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Uh, packets of uh, oatmeal, right? Maybe take them out of the box so that somebody can grab just one or two yeah. packets instead of having a... Everyone can share it rather than... Exactly. For sure. Yeah. For sure. That must like be... it says right here, take what you need, leave what you can. Yeah. And there's their website. I feel like it pretty much like I I'm low income myself so I like I pretty much just try and trade yeah. usually or if I have extra stuff that I'm not using at the house I come here and drop it off and like see what's going on yeah yeah that seems like the sort of the best the appeal of it that yeah. it's like that's give and take well the appeal for me is that I don't like the food banks like, yeah the food banks are not really like I don't think there should be a barrier to food I think yeah. you should be able to access food whenever you want food. Yeah. And it shouldn't be like an application process. It shouldn't be mm. whether or not your income is whatever. This is open for everyone. Yeah. So this is why I love this. Yeah. So right now we are in front of a home on a street in Toronto called Roxton Road and uh, they've got a lovely setup um, with some plants, some ferns that look like they've been brought outside. In fact, someone is just bringing a snake plant over right now to add to the collection of plants. We've also got a keyboard set up and uh, a man wearing a blue shirt. In July, I was invited to Roxton Road in the west end of Toronto. You might remember that people at the beginning of the pandemic had been banging pots and pans every night at 7 or 7.30 to thank frontline workers. That died out pretty quickly in some neighborhoods. 
Some, though, carried on for a few months. I remember clapping and cheering from my balcony well into late 2020, even as some of my neighbors were getting annoyed with the nightly noise. But even in the face of some of our cynicism, the residents of Roxton Road took the idea and really ran with it, turning it into something else entirely. And it all started when Ellen Manny saw a flyer on March 19th, 2020, and shared it with her husband, musician Ken Whiteley. And it said, um, come out and support frontline workers. And, and I took the flyer, you know, and I said to Ken, shall we do this? And he said, sure, let's go do it. So, so we did, and we went out with Ben, our son. And then um, I got Keith and Anna, who are on the second floor up there, and I said, come on, let's go. And, and it was just really the five of us. We just started, and... And as well as the people we called up, there were a few other people who were just kind of, like, passing by going, what's this? And they started, you know, and we said, we're going to be here every night at 7.30. So, like, the next night there was 11 people, and the next night there was 19, and the next night, you know, so it, it just kind of snowballed from there. Then we, it just kept growing, and then we got scared because... Um, you know, people said, no, you can't do this. It's, you know, you were going to get sick and all that. So Ken and I decided we don't want the responsibility of anybody getting COVID. So we closed it down. But we didn't close it down because people said, no, we're not closing it down. We're going to keep going. And they did. And then we eventually, we joined them quickly after. And this is what happened. The this is 500 straight days of a kind of variety hour on their neighbor Sally's lawn. By about 7.25 p.m. on that warm July night, a group of musicians took their spots on the lawn, and about two dozen or so residents found some seating on either lawn chairs that they had brought over or on the curb. Then MC Keith welcomed everyone. Tonight we celebrate 16 months, 500 days of friendship, camaraderie, healing, support, and coming together through community-based activism and shared purpose of giving instead of taking, loving instead of hating, nurturing and embracing instead of focusing on fears and anxieties that feed hopelessness and despair. We all recognize that with even a small amount of effort, we can make big positive differences in the lives of others. The night had a guest of honor, Judy Archer. She's a retired nurse and originally shared the flyer with Ellen Manny, which sparked this whole thing. And it's amazing that this is your 500th night and I always meant to come to the party, but I had emergency surgery last summer and never got here. So my shout out tonight is to the wonderful staff at St. Michael's Hospital who took really good care of me last August. And I can't say enough about the frontline workers, how truly amazing they are, dedicated, and we wouldn't have got through this without them. Thanks. But the gratitude expressed by the people taking the stage, uh, by which I mean the front yard, has extended far beyond hospital workers. This is Barry reading his poem, titled 500 Nights on Roxton Road, a survey. It began with clanging pots, a budding rendezvous, animated by joyous voices and playful strings. Loosen the grip of pandemic with thoughts of solidarity, with humorous irony, for the love of God, science! We climbed the sheer cliff of zero vaccination and now surpass 83%. COVID-19 is a vicious foe. Beware its deadly variants. 
Frontline workers still bear the brunt. How so? Giant retail chains and warehouses, meat packing plants, factories and mines, construction sites and mass transit didn't skip a beat. Temporary bonus pay disappeared. Who paid the price? The people who grow our food! <laughs> Migrant farm workers among them. Legions of seniors perished in long-term care squalor. As I stood on the sidewalk listening, while cars slowed down as they passed by and kids ran around, I realized each night had become a kind of check-in with neighbors. I orchestrated a reading of uh, 12 Days of Christmas, and we had six couples. You guys were involved in that, and that was fun. We had a Passover explained to us with discussion with David and Leora, and followed by matzah for everyone. We've had birthdays and anniversaries and people's passing. Allison roasted chestnuts one, one night on a cold winter's day, and we still kept coming out. Everyone kept coming out. So it's been quite a, a joyous occasion all the way along, and I think that's... We're all and it wasn't just all talk either. Here's Rachel, who's holding her trusty cheese grater to make her noise as she goes through all of the fundraisers that they've organized over the 500 um, so nights. We supported Sistering and we raised $1,500. Uh, we raised, I think, about $700 for the Anishinaabe Health Center, which was really great through a barbecue that we had. Um, and then it just kind of keeps going from there. We had pumpkins um, to support the Mi'kmaq fishermen in uh, October. Um, and that was a great effort with local farmers through Dufferin Grove. I personally found the sense of community really powered me through some really tough times. And I was able to show up just to like my job, to you know, make sure I could pay my rent. And um, not everybody had that for the past year, but that kind of investment goes a really long way. So I would say what we did is really priceless. At the end of the night, I found Al, who'd been standing watching the events with his bike and one of those giant food delivery freezer bags on his back. Um, I've been a recluse. I've admired from afar, but I've lived on the street for uh, six years and I don't know, I just felt compelled. Um, I've been missing community and so just thought I'd give it a shot, I guess. Yeah, I, I was doing Fedora. Yeah. That was, uh, we tried to unionize. They shut down the whole company. So now I do uh, various other uh, food delivery stuff. I've been doing that for five years. Yeah, it wasn't uh, sustainable at the beginning of the pandemic. Now it's slowly becoming more so. Uh, But even now it's still, uh, it's not what it was. Uh, It's been rough and, you know, just taking it day by day. It's, I mean, there's so many contrasting days of like, 
a day with no tips or shitty customers versus, I don't know, it's nice to see um, a group of progressives that seems appreciative of uh, what everyone's doing, what everyone's going through. Uh, it's like faith restored kind of feeling. It's, it's hard to explain. I would say I'm, I'm grateful to, to witness it and to uh, kind of do away with some of my uh, cynicism for a bit. But yeah. I recently caught up with Ken Whiteley. He said that after they hit 18 months, they went down to three nights a week. When I talked to him, they were planning their winter solstice event on December 21st to celebrate the holiday season. And they've got no plans to stop anytime soon. So it's, it's gone through all kinds of uh, sort of stages. And, but, but when we started, we all, I think, thought it would come to an end. There would be, you know, now we're in the pandemic and soon it will be ended. And that's not been the case, and it appears that that is not gonna be how it ends. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show, Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at RW. And if you haven't already, please follow The Decibel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Ken Whiteley and the crew at Roxton Road, to Aaron Anderson and Molly Hayes, and to everyone who shared their stories. The Decibel will be back on January 4th. For me and everyone at The Decibel, we hope you have a happy holiday, and I'll talk to you next year. <laughs>